blessing to be able to worship with you this morning and look at God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Psalm 132? Psalm 132. In this psalm this morning, we're going to see three specific themes. A new temple, a new city, and a new king. And even though maybe those three things seem disconnected at first, I want to submit to you that I think every human being, in a sense, is looking for a new temple, a new city, and a new king. I think each person in the world is looking for a type of a new temple, a place of intimacy with the God of their choosing, whether through religion or pursuit of worldly pleasure. People seek closeness with something in order to experience joy and contentment. I also believe the world is looking for a new city. It seems like we have an innate desire to live in a new and better place on the earth where we can experience peace and escape the brokenness of the world. And lastly, I think everyone is looking for a new and better king. There is someone or something in our lives that is the ultimate hope of all those other things. There is something or someone that all those things depend on. That king may be themselves, someone else, something in the world, or a god they worship. But I believe in each of these three things we see that a broken and twisted but still remaining desire for the greatness of God. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, I believe that if you honestly search your heart, you're looking for something new and great too. Every human being is looking for something new and great, something that will give us contentment and rest for our soul. But brothers and sisters, I hope that among all the believers here this morning that have been saved by Christ, we will see from God's word this morning how only God himself can fulfill this longing. I hope that by the end of our time, we'll see that he's the only one who can give us this new temple, this new city, and new king to give us true rest. So to that end, let's open up Psalm 132. If you're not there, the words will be on the screen. After we read, I'll pray for our time together, and we'll look for this temple, city, and king in Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will sit on your throne, if Your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. 
For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, Lord, seeking your help. Lord, open our eyes to see you and your word, how you are the only one sufficient for these things we just read, Lord. Lord, I pray you bring conviction, you bring encouragement, you bring comfort, Lord. God, we look to you in total dependence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The top of this psalm that we just read, notice verse 1, right above it. A song of ascent. So this is one of the psalms that Israel would sing as they traveled up to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. And in this particular song, they're praising God for his temple where his presence dwelled with them. And if we're under, to understand this psalm and how it applies to us today, we need to know why was this temple such a big deal? Well, the temple, we think of it as God's dwelling place. But if you look in verse 5, it's also called, I'm sorry, verse 8, it's also called God's resting place. Very interesting. I believe the writer of this psalm is intentionally using these words to remind us how the whole Bible teaches that God's initial goal in creation was to dwell, to rest with his people. You think all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. On the seventh day, after God had created everything in Adam and Eve, what did he do? Rested on the seventh day. And the Bible is saying God rested does not mean that he stopped because he was tired from creating. But instead, it's emphasizing how God, as king of his creation, stopped to dwell with and enjoy his creation as they enjoyed him. So this was the original purpose for his people, for them to rest with him and enjoy his presence. So this psalm is reminding us that his resting place, his first temple, in a sense, was the Garden of Eden. In fact, God gave Adam the assignment of caring for this garden temple by ruling over it as a king and a priest. But we know that, tragically, in a moment of sin, Adam and Eve, they failed. At their role. Instead of being a king that represented God, they wanted to be their own king. They sin and are cast out of the garden. They sinned against God, and now, as a result, instead of dwelling with God and resting with Him, they're now at unrest away from His presence. But we know that God, in His love, He set out to redeem mankind for sin from sin and save a people for himself so they could again do what? Rest with him again and enjoy his presence. And this is essentially the entire story of the Bible, isn't it? And it's the story of our psalm this morning. How can a sinful people who are separated from God and at unrest in their soul be brought back to God and rest with him again? 
This is where our psalm picks up. In part of God's plan to bring his people back to rest with him, he used this temple that Psalm 132 refers to to be his dwelling and resting place. Look in verses 1 through 5. We see how King David desired to build this temple for God. Look at verses 1 through 5. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So here Israel is remembering how much effort David went through to build this temple, this resting place for God. Notice particularly in verses 6 and 7, they talk about the Ark of the Covenant, what they're also referring to as God's footstool, because it's the place where God's presence in heaven came down to rest with his people. And in verse 6, we see how the Ark had been stolen by Israel's enemies, but David and his men heard of the Ark's location and went and took it back and brought it back to Jerusalem. And this is where David steps in and makes this vow to build this temple that verses 1 through 6 in the psalm are referring to. He wants to build a temple to put the ark in it so God's presence will have a place to live and rest. But as we'll see later in the psalm, it's not actually David that builds the temple, but one of his sons, Solomon. And this temple becomes the central place of worshiping God for Israel. This is why they, look what Israel says in verses 7 through 9. This is why they're so excited. They say, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. You in the ark of your might. Let your priest be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. So they're overflowing with happiness because God's presence is in his temple. And for a moment, it seems like maybe God has fulfilled his plan of bringing his people back to rest with him. But everything was not fulfilled. Because of their sin, we see later in the Old Testament, not everyone could enter the holiest part of this temple. Only the high priest could enter that temple. He could only enter it once a year. He had to offer sacrifices for himself before he could even go in there. And then he had to offer sacrifices for all the people, and they still couldn't go in the temple all the way. Not only that, but around 500 years after this psalm was written, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And God's presence left along with the temple. So the temple made of stone that Solomon built, it did not truly bring God's people to be back at rest with him. Before we move on in, in this psalm, I want to take a moment to make sure we don't miss the fact that This problem Israel is experiencing here in this psalm is the exact same problem we have in our sin. Israel's stone temple didn't fix their separation from God, but I wonder this morning, is there anything in your life you have been looking to to fix the unrest in your soul? You know, we recently celebrated Thanksgiving. We've been giving thanks for all the many blessings God has given this, but I wonder if you're honest with yourself, is there any part of you that has been looking to those God-given blessings as a source of rest and contentment and enjoyment 
instead of looking to God himself? Have you settled for a lesser rest than the one God promises in this psalm? Or maybe you've been tempted that in your sin you think there's no way you can be made right with God. There's no way I'll ever have true rest, true contentment. Well, friends, either way, if you're despairing or if you're looking to something else, please look, continue to look with me in this psalm because it's showing us that Israel then and us now, we both in our sin have a problem that we can't fix. We need a better temple where we can be cleansed from our sin and finally rest with God again. But how will this ever happen? Well, I believe we get something of a clue in verse 10. Let's look at what it says. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. So after Israel praises God for his dwelling place being in his temple for nine straight verses, they then all of a sudden mention David. And asked God not to reject David, his anointed one, referring to one of his sons. I believe this shows us something very, very important. That Israel knew that their hope of one day resting with God again in this perfect temple did not ultimately depend on the temple made of stone, but on a faithful king. Look at how they say this in verses 11 through 12. They remember The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will sit on your throne. If your son keeps my covenant and my testimonies that I shall keep him, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. So Israel's remembering that again, how David had made that vow to build the temple. But it's interesting, when David makes this vow to God to build this temple, God responds and says, No, David, you're actually not going to be the one to build me a temple. Instead, I'm going to build you into a temple. Sounds kind of strange. Well, But notice this in verse 11. God tells David that he will sit one of his sons on his throne. And that in verse 12 says that future son of David will rule forever if he does what? Keeps God's covenant perfectly. So these verses are referring back to 2 Samuel 7. When God made this promise to David, there God said that not only would this son that would be a king forever and rule forever, if he perfectly obeyed, but he would also be the one that builds the temple God is anticipating. Listen to how he says this in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled, talking to David here, and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, David... I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, didn't this promise come true? Didn't Solomon, David's son, build God a temple? Well, yes, he did. But remember that that temple Solomon built didn't bring Israel perfect rest with God. And also notice that what I just read in 2 Samuel says that the same son of David that builds the temple will be the one who perfectly obeys and rules for God forever. I don't know if you know much about Solomon, but did he perfectly obey and rule forever? No. So he didn't perfectly obey, he didn't reign forever, and the temple he built didn't fix the problem. So it's clear that this promise wasn't fulfilled by Solomon himself. So we're left to conclude, along with Israel, when they're 
singing this song that God's promise to David points to their need, not only for a new temple, but a new and greater king to build that temple. For God's people to rest with and enjoy him forever. For us to rest with and enjoy him forever. There's got to be a new and better king to build a new and better temple where we can live with God forever. Adam wasn't that king. David wasn't that king. Solomon wasn't that king. And again, please don't let all this talk about temples and kings from hundreds of years ago make you zone out. Because remember, this psalm is describing us in our sin. Apart from God's grace, we are at unrest. And Psalm 132 is telling us that we can't look to ourselves to fix the problem. It's causing us to look up to God for him to bring this new king to fulfill this promise of rest with God. So friends, I want to ask you, do you have that kind of God-dependent hope in your life? Have you forgotten that your separation from resting and enjoying God cannot be fixed by yourself, by your morality, by your good deeds, by your own power? No, friends, you need something outside of yourself to come in and bring you in to God's rest. So friends, are you busy looking for this king that Psalm 132 anticipates? Are you busy looking to yourself? If so, friends, keep looking in Psalm 132 this morning because God is lifting our eyes up to look to him for this new king. So to that end, look with me again in verse 13 and notice something else. Not only do we need a new temple built by a new king, but we all need this to happen in a new city chosen by God. Look at what he says in verse 13. Right after Israel proclaims their hope of one day resting with him and how that's found in this new king from David, they proclaim God's promise of choosing what they call Zion, which is the hill Jerusalem was built on. They're saying that's the place all these things are going to happen. Verse 13 says it here. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. And notice this, that the description of God dwelling with his people in Zion, in verses 13 through 16, is almost identical to what he says through verse 7 through 9 about the temple. So what is God saying? Well, he's proclaiming that one day he promises that the whole city he's talking about will be a temple. The whole city will be a place where God can perfectly rest with his people. Notice the similar language here, verses 13 and 14. They say that God has desired this city as his resting place forever. And God intends on one day bringing his people into this city. And then he says in verses 15 through 16, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. In this city that God promises to dwell in, His people will be perfectly blessed and satisfied and saved to enjoy His rest forever. But just like the stone temple that Solomon built was not the one that would bring God's people into true rest, Israel's earthly Jerusalem that existed in this moment, this psalm was written cannot be this city that this psalm anticipates. Israel never experienced a Jerusalem the way this psalm describes it. 
They never experienced Jerusalem become an entire temple where they're at rest with God. And not only that, but like we said, 500 years after this psalm was written, when the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was taken over. And while after that, God let some exiles return to Jerusalem and rebuild a temple, it was never the same. And it was eventually destroyed again. Jerusalem was captured and ruled by the Romans. So where are we left to look? Well, this promise of God turning a perfect uh, t- turning Zion into this perfect temple well as people will rest with them it hasn't happened yet in this psalm but remember who God said it all depends on who does the temple depend on who does the new city depend on a new king that would come from David a new and perfect king that's why the, God ends the psalm he way, the way he does in verses 17 and 18 Look at what he says there. He brings together all three of these themes of a new temple, a new city, and a new king. He shows how he will be the one to raise up this new king from David. David can't raise him up because he's dead. Solomon can't raise him up because he's dead. God's going to raise up this king. Verse 17. There, talking about in Zion, I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. So this image of a horn is meant to make us visualize a strong king growing up out from David. And also notice that he says this son of David will be like a lamp, emphasizing that this king will be the one that brings the light of God's salvation into the darkness of sin and separation from God. And then lastly in verse 18... God says that through this promised king, God would defeat his enemies and establish him as the eternal and perfect king. And then his people will rest with him. Who is this king? Well, if you've been following along with me, I hope you've been seeing the hints flashing along the way. This king has to be Jesus Christ himself. He is the one. The New Testament shows is the new king from David who establishes God's new temple and God's new city so God's people can rest with him forever. And it's amazing to see how this psalm hints at this. And we're going to take the rest of the time we have this morning to go back through and look closely at how does Christ do this? How does he fulfill all of these promises? And then how does that help us see him more clearly and love him more fully? Let's first look at how Christ fulfills the, prom, uh, the psalm's promise of a new temple where God will perfectly rest with his people. And first, we can just point out the obvious. Isn't this what we celebrated Christmas? I mean, Christ, the eternal Son of God, came down to earth to be a man, to be God's true and perfect temple. This is why Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why were angels praising God so much at his birth? Why were the shepherds rejoicing? Why did the wise men come to see him? Because in Jesus, God was coming to truly dwell and rest with his people again. This is why John chapter 1 in verse 14 says this, And the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus himself 
was the reality to which the temple pointed to. Because he's the fullness of God's presence that truly came to earth to dwell among his people. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. This is also why after the famous story of Jesus driving out the sinful action that happened in the temple in Jerusalem, in the Gospel of John, John recounts this, I love this, The Jews said to him, after he had driven everyone out of the temple, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But notice this. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus is the new temple because he's truly God coming down amongst man to dwell with his people. But Jesus, as the true temple, the new temple, he's better than the old one. Because remember, in the old stone temple, it could not remove sin. All the temple did was just signal, you're still separated from God. But Jesus breaks down the separation. The priest and the sacrifices that had to be done to even get people a little step closer in the temple, they couldn't take away sin. But Jesus, as the new temple, came to save his people so they could dwell with him. And he does it by going to the cross to pay the penalty for sinners, to take the full wrath of God on all those that would look to him and trust So now, all of us that have looked to Him and trusted to Him, He has come as the new temple and He offers us that promise of rest with God again. The rest we haven't experienced since the Garden of Eden. He promises it to us and holds it out to us. That's why He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's not a random word. That's not a random throwaway verse. He's being intentional here. He's saying the rest that you guys lost at the Garden of Eden, the contentment and enjoyment of God's presence, I'm the only one that can bring you into it. So brothers and sisters, in light of this, I want to ask you, have you been living for this rest that Jesus gives? Have you been living with the awareness that He is your only hope each day of having true rest and enjoyment with God. Verses 15 and 16 of the psalm says that those who've come to rest with God are satisfied with Him, and they experience a joy that makes them shout. Are you experiencing that joy, friends? If, if all we've read, friends, it, it shows us that being a Christian can't be something that just happens once in our life, and then we move on from never to think about Christ ever again. And then, instead... This psalm shows us that after Christ saves us, he lovingly opens our heart to then enable us to live a life where we experience this rest with God each day. The New Testament also says that for all of us that have come to him for this rest, he turns us, the church, into God's true temple as well. So we become God's temple by us being united with Christ. This is what Ephesians 2 says. In Him, talking about Jesus, the whole structure, talking about the church, 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So through Christ, the church also becomes this new temple where the whole earth can look and see God's salvation, God's redemption of man, and them living with Him and resting in His presence. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus has saved you, He's turned you into a stone of this new temple, a piece of this new temple, and He intends to use you to build up the church by the power of His Spirit. So friend, are you living with an awareness that you're a stone in this temple, that God wants to use you to build up other brothers and sisters, to encourage them, to help them look to Christ for rest and follow Him more closely. The Bible says the church is supposed to be a people filled with the Holy Spirit, a people reflecting God's glory and holiness. Are you living your life with that sense of urgency that God's witness, in a sense, depends on your own holiness in Him and your pursuit of becoming more like Christ? Friends, this is the privilege and the joy of being the true temple of God, of being associated with Christ, because He saves us and gives us the experience of resting with Him. But remember, some also said that one day, this new temple, which we have seen through Jesus, is the church, will bring us into a new city. We saw that that isn't an earthly city that exists today, but a new Jerusalem That will be in heaven when God brings down a new Jerusalem for all of his people that have been waiting for Christ to live in. Listen to what John says about this in the book of Revelation. He has this vision of this new city, and he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So this is exactly what our psalm anticipates, that one day in this new city, this perfect place, God's presence will fully be there, and God's people will be at perfect rest with Him, enjoying His presence with no more separation from God. And it's only Christ that can make this happen. Look at verse 17 in the psalm. He is the king from from David that God raises up, and He does raise him up in the earthly Jerusalem. But does He raise him up on a throne immediately? He raises him up on a cross so that then, through his perfect life and his death, he's the light of the world that verse 17 talks about. He's the lamp that shines out. Jesus, in his death on the cross, he's the one that crushes God's true enemy. He crushes Satan, like that verse says. He defeats sin on the cross for all those that would look to him so that they can then rest with him again. He throws out Satan from his new temple like Adam should have done in the Garden of Eden. So now there's no temptation from Satan anymore in this new city. There's no sin. There's no brokenness. There's no sadness because God's people have been brought into this new place. So friends, I want to ask you, have you been living for this new city? Have you been looking for this new place that will be so much better than this earthly city? Or have you been striving to try to make this earthly city your place of rest forever? Are you living for the heavenly city that Christ is preparing for you? Are you trying to prepare your own place here? It will give you rest. The book of Hebrews encourages us as followers of Christ to be looking to the new and better heavenly city, it's called. Not an earthly city, 
that cannot satisfy us, give us true contentment and be our true home. So Christian, I encourage you to step back and look at your life and ask, based on the effort I put out, based on what I do, what city am I living for? If you're weary of living in this current city, you think there's never, it's never going to get better, it's never going to improve. Well, friends, in this psalm, it's reminding us that that's the way it's supposed to be. In, in this earthly city, when we look to it, it's going to be a shallow and temporary rest. But in this new city, we will experience the fullness of God's pleasure, His enjoyment, and His rest. And He's given us a down payment in advance to promise that it's coming one day because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And while we're not perfectly there in this new city yet, He lets us experience it day by day now through Christ. So friends, He's the one that all of this banks on. He's the new king. The temple, the city, it all happens because of him. So he's the one we have to look to. Because lastly, our psalm shows that the new king, he is the one. Christ is the one that fulfills all of these things. He came to earth as a baby to be God's true temple, to die on the cross and bring God's people back to rest with him. And this is the essence, right, of Christmas? What it's supposed to be about? We forget that. The Gospel of Luke. When the angels visited Mary, notice what they said to her, how it connects so strongly to Psalm 132. Notice the similar language to what the angel says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, because he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And listen to Luke again, a little bit later, when he recounts what Zechariah said, when he heard of what God was doing through Christ. There he says, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Notice this. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. These people, friends, they saw Christ as this new king that Psalm 132 talks about. He's the son of David, in verse 11, that sits on David's throne forever. He is the son and king, in verse 12, that perfectly obeys God. Unlike Adam, unlike David, He is the horn of salvation in verse 17 that God raises up out of David for the salvation of his people. And he is the one in verse 18 that crushed Satan's head, God's ultimate enemy, so that we could have rest with him again. So friends, I hope you're seeing that if it were not for Christ's coming, all of these things would not have happened. It all banks, it all depends on him. So friends, I want to encourage you, look again to your your past week. When you wake up in the morning, who are you looking to for rest? Who are you looking to for contentment? Is Christ the King that you wake up and you look to every single day for that rest? Or is He the King that you look to only when things maybe get bad enough? Brothers and sisters, if you haven't been looking to Him like you should, the beauty of Christ as the new king, is that there's no shame and punishment anymore. He's taken all of that already. So now, if you've failed, 
He simply holds out that rescue again to invite you to come back into it, to enjoy it day by day again and again. We just have to go to Him and receive it. So friend, are you going to Him for this rest? The things of this world, your family, your friends, any amount of money, any amount of perfect setup you could have in your home, it's not going to bring you rest. Psalm 132 says only Christ can bring us this rest. He is the king we need. So as we close, friends, I just want you to remember that, to remember him. We haven't given the, the main point of we usually give yet, so I saved it to the end because it all comes together in Christ himself. He's the essence of this statement, that Christ fulfills our need for a new temple, city, and king. Rest in him today. Remember the insufficiency of the original temple, city, and king. None of them could bring us this rest. We need a new temple where our sin is forgiven and we can be with God. We need a new city, a place where we, all of God's people can come and rest with him. And we need a new king to make it all happen, friends. Look to Christ, that new king that gives us this rest because the Bible says of him, in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is gentle and lowly in heart and in him you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for what we have read in your word, God, that this rest that you promised, Lord, Lord, the love in your heart to to you give the initiative to make it happen, Lord. We had rejected this rest. We had thrown it away like trash to be discarded, Lord. But you sent your only son, your precious son, to come down to earth amongst people that hated him and crucified him to establish a new city, a new temple, to bring God's presence into our heart by the Holy Spirit, Lord. So we pray this morning, remind us again. Remind us of this rest, that we would go to it every day so our soul will have pleasure and contentment in Christ alone. In his name we pray, amen.